from what I spoke about two weeks ago. Uh, we were talking about suffering, uh, but I'm going to move on a bit because I want to put, I want to, I want to paint a bigger picture, and I think it's it's easier when we understand the heart of God. What's the end goal, right? And I'm going to be talking from Luke 12, and in Luke 12, Jesus makes this radical statement. He says, "It is your Father's good pleasure." To give you the kingdom. So it's important to put this verse into context. So turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to read this. But I think off the cuff, it's important to understand that the reason, Jesus is making the point, the reason why he wants to give us the kingdom is for nothing else than that is what pleases him. Think about that for a second. It pleases God if he can give over his kingdom to his children. He's not giving it begrudgingly. He's not giving it because you've earned it. Because <laughs> you haven't. Bunch of sinners. Um, <laughs> right? It's simply because he wants to. And he can. And he's going to. So I think it's really important when we're thinking about suffering, it's really important to hold fast onto the character of God and what the end result is going to be. And so we're going to talk about this. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of things, and then I'm going to give you six things, six things, six reasons why God's heart is towards you. Okay, so you're going to follow with me. So I'm going to start reading from verses 8. Luke 12, verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also will acknowledge before God, before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Okay. So you're going to hear this a lot. There's a do not worry. So close your eyes for a second. Okay. So if I say to you, and I'm going to ask you to respond, but respond in internally. You don't need to shout out loud or anything. But if I say to you that if you acknowledge God in front of man, he will acknowledge you in front of his angels. But if you deny him, he will deny you. If you think about that sentence, does that sentence fill you with worry or does it fill you with hope? Think for a second. Just do a little bit of an internal audit of yourself. Okay, let's move on. That's for you to take home and go pray through. Okay. So, but it's interesting that he says this and then the next sentence he goes on saying, hey, when you are put into situations where you do have to acknowledge me, don't worry. 
Don't worry about what you've got to say. If your heart is to defend Jesus, he's got your back. Right? So it's not about what you say. It's not about how you say it. Yeah, obviously, you can say the wrong thing. Sure. So please study your, your word. <laughs> but in those moments, do not worry. Okay. Let's move on. Let's read. Let's read on. We're going to read from verse 29. Let's skip ahead a bit. And do not seek what you are eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. There's that sentence, there's that word again, worried. Don't be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. 32. Fear not. Why should we not fear? For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Once again, reiterating, do not be worried. Stop freaking out. Sometimes we've got to say that to ourselves, huh? Don't worry. It's only six months of long-distance relationships, Gary. So there's, there's, a, there's a theme that goes through Luke 12 where God is saying, hey, if you are for me, I am with you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about where you're going to stay. Don't worry about how your life is going to work out. Okay, but we got this thing in church where, you know, do 12 steps and find out your purpose. And then we've got a whole bunch of people running around like headless chickens because they don't know what their purpose is in life. Okay? And don't get me wrong, purpose is a great topic. I enjoy it. But our purpose is to follow Jesus. Right? And when we're thinking about the topic of purpose, when I think about the topic of standing up for Jesus, does that fill me with anxiety? Or does that fill me with hope? Because when I read this passage, I'm thinking, wow, it's so easy. All I've got to do is acknowledge God in front of man. And God, can, and God sticks up for me. Oh, fantastic. But if I'm reading it from the perspective of, well, I don't know if I can acknowledge, you know, I'm still afraid of these people. I don't know what they're going to think of me then I need to do a little bit of a self-audit. Because his command to me is, do not worry. Right? So, and in Luke 12, Jesus addresses this as well. Because yes, don't worry. He's going to stick up for you. But there is an aspect of get yourself ready. Okay? So let's, let's read on. Let's go to verse 35. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. And be like the men who are waiting for their masters to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom his master finds 
awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man who is coming at an hour you do not expect. Okay, so Jesus paints this picture. He says, okay, it's like a master. He goes away and he leaves to the stewardship his servants. That would be me in this picture. That's you and me. Leaves his house. He says, watch. Okay, and you don't know. I mean, it would be, and this is and Jesus makes this point. Okay, it would be a lot easier if we knew when somebody was going to rob your house, right? Maybe we could pay ADT by the hour. Can I just pay for that hour that they're going to come and rob my house? Sure, shop. Okay, sign the contract. Great. But it doesn't work like that, okay? And Jesus, ironically, compares himself to a thief in the night and says, you don't know what time I'm going to come back. So there is an aspect of preparation. You do need to prepare yourself. You do need to watch out. Okay, so what I'd like you to do is take two minutes. I want you to turn to somebody next to you, and I want you to have a discussion. How would you best prepare yourself? Okay, go. I say prepare. What comes to mind? How do you prepare yourself? How do you keep prepared? How do you watch? Okay, okay, okay. Okay, let's get some answers. Let me get three answers. Somebody stick up a hand, throw your friend under the bus. This person gave me a really good answer. I want them to answer. Yes, Niku. Devolt, give it to me. Devolt, we're all waiting here for you. Come on, man. Okay, how do you keep prepared? How do you how, how does one remain prepared or watching? Okay. 
Okay, we're gonna move on. What is being? How does one prepare? Be ready and waiting. Okay, for what? Okay, give me somebody else. Give me an answer. Pray, read the word. Can we give her a round of applause? Wow. Somebody attended Sunday school. Okay, great answer. Number one, yes. Sorry. Great commission. What is the great commission? Okay. Okay, awesome. So, in other words, we're entrusted with a job. Okay, part of stewardship is you're given a job. Jesus gave his disciples and, and by extension, us a job to do. And we are prepared. We are found watching should we be doing our job. Right? Makes sense? Yeah. Um, Callista, I think you had your hand. Okay. What am I being obedient to? Okay, great, fantastic. Okay, Josh. Okay, it's a good answer. What does it mean to walk intimately with the Holy Spirit? Okay, okay, fantastic. Okay, so I think we've got some good answers here. It's being faithful to the job that he's given me. Did you know that you can give glory to God with anything that you do? Okay? Sometimes being ready is being faithful with your studies or your schoolwork or your job. Right? <laughs> but anything, did you know that anything that you do with your hands, you can do to the glory of God? Right? If we're going to talk about being ready or being prepared, we have to think about not what is that dream thing that we want. And it's, there's nothing wrong with running off the dreams, ambitions, so long as they line in with God's word. But very often we've got to start with what do I have in my hands? What do I need to be a, a good steward of here and now? Where's the place that God has placed me here and now? Who are the people that God has surrounded me with? that perhaps I need to minister to. Okay, I absolutely believe that God's heart is for missions to go to the nations, Sri Lanka, Mozambique, um, you know, hey, Wuhanet, Raya, Nispan. It's absolutely God's heart. Okay, absolutely. But we also have to look at where are we here and now. What are the five loaves and two fishes that I have? Right, being faithful is sometimes taking the night watch because nobody else wants it, right? If we're going to look at this story, right? What is, the, what is that which God has given you now? Can you be faithful with this? Okay, let's move on. Verse 57 kind of repeats the same sentiment in this. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Very random sort of thing. What God is, what is Jesus saying? He's giving a, a parable. Once again, he's talking about a judgment. You and your friend are on the, on the way to court and there is an accusation one way or the other. And Jesus is essentially saying, hey, before you die, 
and get to me. Make sure you sort things out with your friends, your family. How many of us would like to run away from family, join a church, go off to China, spread the gospel, but we don't want to deal with stuff at home, right? <laughs> Sometimes it's, you know, people talk about, God, I'll do anything, but uh, I don't want to go to China, right? And then somebody say, okay, well, go minister to your family. It's okay, I'll go to China. <laughs> right? So it's not necessarily about family, but deal with the accusations. Part of preparing and being ready is dealing with people around us. We, we're a little bit too quick to cut ties and relationships. We, we don't know how to do good conflict. We've lost that skill. It's easier to ignore, not to deal with. And Jesus is pointing out very quickly, hey, there's people that are going to have accusations. And why should you take accusations seriously? For starters, they might be true. <laughs> Don't confuse accusations with just good old-fashioned accountability. Okay? Be careful. And yes, you need to be you also need to be careful about where accusations are coming from or accountability. I don't, it's not that I listen to everybody. I've trusted people that keep me accountable. But once again, my security is in Christ. So when accusations do come, I need to also be prepared. If an accusation or, an insta or something that, that you're going through throws you off, off course, you backslide, You've got to assess, did I hold fast to God's character or was a accusation able to persuade me otherwise? Because I don't know if you've figured this out, I've reiterated this over the last couple of weeks. You know, there's that great secular saying, which I can't repeat in church, stuff happens, you know. The poor poor hits the fan. Not everything goes according to plan. People get sick Jobs get lost. And sometimes the only thing that we have to keep us going is the very nature of who God is. We have to hold fast to that. I don't have the answers to why these things happen. And I'm not going to patronize you by attempting to answer them. But what I do hold fast onto is God and his heart for me. That his heart is, is well-meaning. And not only is it well-meaning towards me, is that his intention is to ultimately hand me the keys of the kingdom. Right, He's telling me not to worry. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm not worrying about it. I trust him. I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't know where these things lead. But I trust him implicitly. At least I tell myself to trust him. Okay. Let's go on to verse 13. There's a very interesting um, parable that Jesus tells right in the beginning of the next chapter. In verse 1, we read that it's part of the same sort of scene. Um, we're told that it is essentially the same scene, same people asking him the same questions. And uh, some people come to him and they ask him about an incident that happened. We don't know a lot about what happened. This is the only place in Scripture where the story is referred to. But what we can glean from the first couple of verses 
is that um, there was an accident. It seems like the Romans and Pilate were behind it. And a bunch of Galileans um, died while trying to make sacrifices. And the, the, Jewish, the Jews, they, they uh, blamed Pilate for it. And a very prevalent thought at the time was that if you went through something, so say you went through sickness or you suffered a loss, it was because you sinned, right? That, that was the prevalent thought at the time. This is, and this is, not, this is not a Jewish idea. This is not a God idea. Um, the thinking is that this, this kind of thinking actually came from the East, it has a very sort of um, uh, what's similarity. It has a lot of similarities with with um, with Hinduism. Actually, this idea of karma—you know, you sow, you reap—that kind of thing. Okay, and so people believe that you went through something; it's because you sinned. That's why it was. And, and in other cases, uh, a man was was born blind and they brought him to Jesus and the question was also asked to Jesus who sinned not what went wrong the automatic assumption is that somebody sinned either he sinned or his parents sinned of course Jesus goes on to deny this kind of thinking Uh, he denies it then he says it wasn't a matter of sin and once again he brings up the topic he says let's let's read here there was some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans who whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus is making it very clear that we're going to have a topic. We're going to talk about sin, take sin as a topic. Then we're all in trouble. Well, you all, if it's Jesus speaking. You guys are all in trouble because you've all sinned. It, it, it makes no sense to talk about who sinned more and who sinned less. Right? We're, we're all born into sin. We all have the same destiny that it is awaiting us unless God intervenes. Unless God intervenes. Right? And um, I think this happens very much in our lives that there are things that happen. Like I said, stuff happens. The pawpaw hits the fan. And our intuitive instinct is to turn on God and go... Well, there must be something wrong with God's goodness. And essentially what we do is we put ourselves on the judgment seat and we judge God. Or something else happens. We assume that the person who was like the Jews here, we assume that, well, that person, you know, they they failed because they deserve to fail. But, you know, I'm so much better than that. Have you ever thought this to yourself? At least I'm not like that guy. Any honest people in the room? Right? I know I do this, but at least I'm not like that. Right? It's the same thing. You're comparing yourself. 
It's like one dead person comparing themselves to another dead person. Well, at least I didn't die like that, right? That would be embarrassing. <laughs> You're dead. You're dead in your trespasses. And unless you turn to Jesus, you will remain dead. And so it doesn't help to war against God. The goodness of God is that we can still come to him offended. Right? I love what it says in the previous chapter. Listen to this. Um, uh, Luke 12 verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Right? He is not, God is not offended by your offense against him. But he does require that you come to him. He does require that you're ready. But the goodness of God is that he's, he's okay. It's, it's like my kid. <laughs> I love talking to my kid. I have so many revelations about my relationship with God through my kid. Like, my kid throws a tantrum. And I'm annoyed with him, right? And he's going to get a timeout. If he continues, he might even get a hiding, depending on how I feel. I'm joking, sort of, not really. Um, but at no point does he stop being my kid, right? He still has a place in my house. And he can wander and he can throw his toys out the cot. And he has the freedom, to a certain extent, to a certain limit to have an emotional crisis and try and figure out life and why he can't watch TV over the weekend. It's fine. Okay? At no point does he stop being my son. though. But there is going to be a moment where life is not going to, stuff is going to happen. Right? Oliver, my son, will find out you know, the board of education will be applied to the seat of learning. But at no point in this process does he stop being my son. Right? I want to read this parable. This is so profound. Luke uh, 13 verse 6. And he told this parable. This is right after telling these guys that you need to repent. Or you will likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig it around it and put on manure. Then if, then if it should be bare fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So Jesus gives this very short parable, but it's so profound in the sense that this, this essentially sums, out, sums up our reality. Adam and Eve sinned, right? And he put, gave up dominion of this world and he gave it over to Satan. Everybody born after Adam and Eve, we essentially live forfeited lives. Why is that? Because God, 
being just and good, could have taken out his justice right there and then. Killed Adam and Eve. Let's start all over again. And instead what he does is he extends mercy to Adam and Eve and he prolongs judgment. This is, and that's the judgment that is going to come um, at the end of time. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to exact out the judgment that he prolonged from Genesis chapter 3. And so we live in this dispensation now of mercy, right? Where the wrath of God with his judgment is there. And Jesus comes to the vine dresser. God is the, in this parable, um, in this parable, Jesus is, is the vine dresser. The, 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 the person saying, let's yank this thing out. This is God. Let me have my justice. There is no fruit. There's nothing that comes. Jesus comes and he intercedes on our behalf. He stands in between. He says, give me, give me some more time. Right? Let me take care of this plant. And, but there's some things we need to glean from this parable. A time is going to come. In this parable, a year, a year from now, we're going to assess. We're going to judge again. So now we live in a time where judgment has been prolonged. We live in this time of mercy, this time of grace. Get yourself ready. Prepare yourself. He is coming again. If you do not bear fruit, you will be chopped out. If you do bear fruit, you'll be taken with Jesus to eternity. This is the warning. But, there's a, there, but if you are still alive, all the alive people, stick up your hands, right? There is hope. While you still breathe, there is hope. But one day, I don't know if you know this, you will not live forever. I, I mean, COVID was so profound in how many people it sent running around like headless chickens, freaking out. They've all, all, all of a sudden, they figured out that they're not going to live forever. Yes, people die. You are going to die. You will have to come face to face with God. And if you're standing by yourself, you're in trouble. But should you bear fruit? And in this context, what does fruit look like? Well, he just gave us the answer just a few verses before. Right? But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. We... Because we see that word fruit, oh man, it's an intimidating word. I've got to do stuff. I've, I've got to go to China. I've got to save the loss. I've got to, and we fall into this workspace pattern. No, to bear fruit in our context is to turn to Jesus. It's not your works. It's the fruit of the spirit that works in your life that turns you towards Jesus. That is the fruit that he's looking for. That the Holy Spirit has knocked on the door. When Gary had that moment with Jesus and he decided, this is the moment I need to put childish things aside a couple of years ago and I need to pursue Jesus. That is bearing fruit. Right? Does that make sense? Because we want to fall into this, ah, i got to stress, i gotta, I got to worry, i got to freak, I need to do stuff. 
extra tasks, things. Repent. If you plan on acknowledging God, if you stick with Jesus, that is the fruit that you need to bear. Everything after that is a bonus. That's good news. That means that it's not dependent on what you do. How you act. Does this make sense? Okay. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19, find that verse. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There's that thing of fruit, right? What is the fruit? When we repent, what essentially are we doing? We're turning away from our old lives. That re- word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia. means to turn around. Now we're going to face this way. I'm going to put aside childish things. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to be reconciled to him. Okay? And in this verse, in this chapter, I, I encourage you to read this chapter in your own personal quiet time. It's making the assumption, not the assumptions, making the point that the that the object of God's plan, the end goal, was to reconcile Himself to us. I don't know why we go through all these things. I have answers for myself. I don't have answers for you, but I am convinced that at the end of the day. When all is said and done, God's desire through Jesus is to be in relationship with you, to be reconciled with you. Simple truths. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why did he give his only son? Simply because of the love that he has for you. But what about the wrath of God? He's so angry. Yes, the wrath of God is real. You have to deal with it. Okay. Christ died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God. That is what happened. But it doesn't answer the question of why it happened. Why did it happen? Because he loves you. Right? Because he has a great love and a desire for no other reason than according to his good pleasure to be in a relationship with you. And he will move heaven and earth prolonged judgment for ages, for generations, for thousands of years. He will move things around to simply spend eternity with you. Isn't that beautiful? So, if I'm going to sum up six things that we can assess about God's heart towards you. Number one, He wants you not to worry. Do not worry. Good litmus test. When you read the word of God, do you feel condemned? If you feel condemned, you're messing up on this first point. Okay, I encourage you, if you, if you, if you read the word of God and you're feeling anxious, you're feeling condemned, that is not the spirit of God that is ministering to you. I encourage you to Come talk to me or your small group leader. Get in hold of Deervolt if you want to go for counseling. But you need to listen to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God witnesses a message about hope. Do not worry. 
Joshua 1 verse 9. Classic. Do not be afraid. Right? We know these verses. I know this. I've heard this before, but I'm still worried. Ah, okay. Deal with it. He wants to give you the kingdom. That's his heart for you. Listen to that simple truth. We just read up all about this. He wants to hand you the keys. But number three, he, he does want you to be ready. And suffering, the topic of suffering, I think, can fall into this point. Why do we go through the things that we go through? Long, complicated answer, but I think the end goal is to be ready. I'm prepared. He has given you mercy. It's not mercy as in we're going to forget about this. It's in mercy as in I'm giving you a period of time to get your life in order, to get ready. There is a period of time. Don't take it for granted. You don't know when you're going to die. I'm, it might be a bit over, overly dramatic, but I've got to tell you these things. Right? You don't Billy Graham. God bless him. Number five, he wants to be reconciled with you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. That is his end goal. Why do we do what we do? I want to be in a relationship with you. I want you to spend eternity with me. Praise Jesus. Sounds like a jewel. And then lastly, he wants to give you a mission, job. In that same verse we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19, not only has God endeavored to bring about this ministry of reconciliation, but when we are reconciled, we also get the job of reconciliation. Okay? Once again, it's that, hey, make sure stuff is right between you and your neighbor before judgment day. Don't, we, we, we just had, my wife and I, um, we just had a, a, a death in the family. Her grandfather passed away. And the sad part is, I don't know where he's going after heaven. First off, don't do that to your loved ones. Secondly, don't live with the guilt of thinking you should have said something or could have done something and don't do it. Right? It's too late for a grandfather. It's the honest truth. But if a loved one is there with you and you still have contact, there is hope. Don't squander it. Be ready. When the time comes, when the hour comes to respond, be ready. 